Welcome to Karmic Imprints, a podcast that explores the unconscious stories, mythologies, soul memories, astrological archetypes, ancestral legacies, past life patterns, and historical happenings that drive us to support the process of awakening to and engaging with this underlying psychic content in a more conscious and intentional way. I'm your host, Diana Westley, an evolutionary astrologer, spiritual coach, and lover of all things archetypal. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you enjoy today's episode. For today's episode of Karmic Imprints, we'll be connecting with Jim Seymour, a fellow astrologer to explore the energy, mythology, and astrology of Saturn and Pisces. Jim is the owner of Starduster Services, where he serves as an an astrological consultant, presenter, teacher, and writer. He's also a practitioner of bhakti yoga and mantra meditation, and a long-term student of the Vedic literatures, Ayurvedic medicine, kundalini yoga, feng shui, sacred geometry, and human design. Jim is a font of wisdom, encouraging anecdotes, and intuitive insight, and I'm so excited to have him on the podcast. So Jim, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Diana, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Um, So why don't we jump right in? Since today's topic is Saturn, and Jim is a very Saturnine person. (laughs) I'd love it if you'd share a few words about your journey with Saturn and what this planetary archetype represents to you personally. Sure. Um, I have my natal Saturn in Pisces at two degrees in the 12th house. So, um, and also Saturn represents the father in astrology. And uh, my dad was a Pisces who had five planets in Pisces. So all his five Pisces planets fit inside my 12th house. So, um, that's wild. uh, Yeah, it's, it's, it was very powerful to interact with him. He was a very clairvoyant person. He was very mystical and, and psychic. And, uh, so, uh, yeah, my journey with Saturn, you know, with Saturn in the 12th, I've, I've had a lifelong journey with, uh, being a Capricorn. Saturn is my natural solar ruler. So, uh, I've, I've been a worry wart all my life. <laughs> there tends to be this indwelling sense of responsibility that is kind of endemic in the Capricorn experience. So Saturn mm-hmm. has taught me a lot of lessons and um, I've had uh, journeys with mental illness and bipolar disorder and, and PTSD and stuff like that. So um, Saturn is a great teacher though. Um, I used to coach high school varsity football many years ago and the key to any sport or any competition when you're working with a coach is if you work proactively with the with the regimen that's been set for you in other words my experience as a as a practitioner of yoga too is the more i discipline myself internally then the less and less i experience saturn imposing restrictions and discipline on me from from without so that's that's a real key for me that's a really good piece of advice. Um, I think when people hear about Saturn, since it's often linked to this title, Lord of Karma, <laughs> you know, we see Saturn as this great taskmaster um, and often associate it with a feeling of kind of 
heaviness or external burden or authority even sometimes. Um, it's easy to forget that we do have Saturn within us and that we can work with it in this other way. Um, and actually, that leads me to my next question. So for our listeners, what advice would you offer them if they have a prominent Saturn placement, like Saturn in the first house, Saturn conjunct a personal planet like their sun or moon, um, or if they're working through a major Saturn transit, like their Saturn return, um, when Saturn returns to where it was when we were born around the ages of like 28, 29, again, um, in our late 50s, um, or if they're working through, um, you know, Saturn passing over a significant planet or angle in their chart, like their ascendant, their midheaven, um, again, Venus or, or one of the other kind of personal planets, what advice would you offer those folks? Sure. Um, well, let's, let's recap the archetypes of Saturn. Um, the more challenging ones, of course, are limitations, boundaries, restrictions, delays, obstacles, formidable opponents, uh, a feeling of being caged in or hemmed in or held back. And I've noticed uh, for people whose disposition is naturally uh, rebellious and defiant, and they're striking out against authority and they want to break the rules and they want to uh, you know, be rebels in some way, then they're gonna experience Saturn a lot more harshly. Whereas um, for myself, I come from a military family. Um, my grandfather Joe flew in World War I, my uncle John flew in World War II, and my dad flew in Vietnam. So I was raised, oh, and by the way, my next door neighbor's dad was the chief of police for LAPD growing up in LA. So I was surrounded by uh, law enforcement and military type people where discipline and, re and respect for, for structure and hierarchy is like, it's like the, the lay of the land for that kind of life. So I was, my dad impressed upon me very early as a young boy to always respect authority. Don't, don't try to be a, a smarty pants, you know, don't try to show off or, or, uh, or give anybody any guff. You know, he said, if you ever come in touch with the law, you immediately submit and show them that you're willing to cooperate with them. And they'll immediately feel that and, and your experience will be so much smoother. So similarly, in all things Saturn, if we think of Saturn as these restrictions, these limitations in our lives, the more we look at these as a chance for inner growth and self-mastery, in other words, working with the energy of Saturn, then the external feeling of being restricted or held back or punished, because a lot of people will kind of interpret a Saturn, Saturn's punishing me, he's being mean to me. Well, actually, you know, since all of our reality is generated from within and we're projecting our inner energies out into the environment, then it's then we're perceiving it bouncing back to us. The key to Saturn, whether it's a transit, whether you have it natally in a challenging angle, um, the more we learn how to control our own minds. Right. Because that's the first order of business is is control of the mind. Um it can be through arts and crafts. It can th be through martial arts. It can be through gardening. Anywhere where you're giving yourself time to learn how you think and what triggers you, the more we become, how do you say, uh, familiar with our inner architecture, the landscape of our mental structuring, 
then we'll be able to work with Saturn and we'll accept that discipline. Almost like an Olympic athlete willingly accepts discipline because they want to go for the gold medal. You know, they have a goal. And since Saturn is very, um, how do you say, uh, Saturn is is known for achieving goals. You know, we need a strong Saturn to achieve our goals. If a person knows what they're here to do, uh, if they know what their goal is, then it's going to be that much easier for them to accept that self-discipline. And the quicker they accept self-discipline and they they restrict themselves with like a schedule or a daily regimen that they're adhering to, then they're not going to experience Saturn in that limiting way coming from, from the outside. So it's really, it's really all about the inner game with Saturn. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, although I will say that my Saturn return in my late twenties was a very, um, a very destabilizing time. And some of it was because I had these goals, but they weren't actually the right goals for me. <laughs> so um, during my Saturn return is actually when I discovered astrology. Like I'd always kind of known about it, but didn't really even believe in astrology. <laughs> and um, someone that I worked with um, at the company that I had intended to be with for the rest of my career <laughs> um, ended up asking me what my moon sign was one day and I had no idea there was such a thing and she introduced me to the birth chart and it completely changed everything for me and that career did not end up being the rest of my life and my team actually got laid off within the year (laughs) Um, fortunately I was already on my way to graduate school and so I had a little bit more time to figure out what I was going to do next but I had been trying to be very practical and very disciplined um when it came to my my life like in so many ways and when Saturn came along it actually kind of forced me to let go of a bunch of the goals that I'd held on to probably because they were more ego driven they were someone else's goals for me at the end of the day and I just didn't fully recognize that um definitely you know from my experience it was a time of having to come into my personal authority more because some of my external authority figures weren't so encouraging and supportive of me choosing to move toward astrology um but it's yeah it was definitely um for those who are structured and disciplined by nature, sometimes Saturn still comes along and says, guess what? The the direction that you're heading in isn't necessarily your true path, maybe not your highest call. Um, and so it can kind of still shake things up a bit, not in like the Uranian way where it's like expect the unexpected, but more um, that it really asks for some deep, true part of yourself to to come to light and kind of take center stage. Um, so so yeah, that's been my experience of Saturn. Um, it's actually in my seventh house of relationships. Um, and there was definitely a lot of change in that area of, of life for me as well. I've been with my partner for almost 20 years now and and our path has been very Saturnian. Um, 
you know, it took us 16 years to get married <laughs> and we definitely had a lot of maturing and growing up that we did through that partnership. It required a lot of commitment, a lot of willingness to work hard on the relationship. Um, and so that was that was part of the picture. But from my experience, Saturn, um, kind of regardless what sign it falls in, what house it's in, um, can can also kind of major transits can ask us to to really reclaim our authority and and really kind of figure out again um if the goals that we've held for ourselves if the direction that we're headed are ultimately the truest to us um so yeah that i totally resonate with everything you shared and and also um Sometimes, no matter how structured you've tried to be, how goal-oriented, sometimes you're um, still going to have things kind of shift or change or evolve a bit with a Saturn transit. Um, yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh, that's interesting. I didn't realize you uh, discovered astrology during your Saturn return. I did, too. Um, I no was way. actually working... <laughs> Yeah, I, I had a really good job with a retail in a retail sales position with a home improvement chain, kind of like Home Depot, but it was a smaller company. And um, uh, I was going to be bucking for management. They they had they had approached me and they wanted to offer me, you know, do you want to become the third man, the, the second assistant manager, and then assistant, you know? And it was going to be huge money. And this was this was in the very early 1990s, and yet I just felt intuitively inside because I also have uh, my Chiron and my Pisces moon in the 12th house. So my 12th house life is very rich. My inner my inner world is very, very deep and rich. And so I just didn't feel drawn to like be married to a to a store. And, you know, like when the when the alarm goes off at three in the morning, you got to go down to the store and meet the cops and, you know, and talk to everybody. It's like, no, nah, that's I don't want to be doing that six days a week. And so for my Saturn return, which happened in 1994, when I was 29, um, I saved up a few thousand dollars and I went to Australia for a year. And while I was living down there and playing music and doing all that, I was exploring the whole other side, the total opposite side from corporate, you know, business life. And I was diving into swimming with dolphins and, and learning about crystals. And that's where I came in touch with astrology. And so uh, I, that's funny. I didn't realize that you you too came into astrology at your Saturn return. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because I don't know if you've found this being a counseling astrologer, Jim, but I find that a lot of people come to me for their first astrology around the time of their first Saturn return. <laughs> so not an uncommon time for people to kind of happen upon astrology, discover it, um, or maybe feel the need for it for the first time. Um, but but that's really cool that that just happened to be when we both made this, yeah, discovery of astrology or kind of a deepening of interest into it. Because again, a lot of people have heard of astrology, but, but really um, understanding the birth chart and getting to take that deeper dive um, was, yeah, it sounds like both of our experience around that Saturn return. Um, and since you have Saturn in Pisces, natally in your birth chart, and now we have the um, the transit of Saturn in Pisces happening for the next few years. Um, you know, I'd love to hear from your 
personal experience and also um, from what you kind of know of this planetary um, sign combination, um, you know, how you foresee this planet planet sign combination playing out in the coming years on both a collective and also a personal level? Sure. Um, well, if we just look back in history to get a quick snapshot of what was going on on the planetary stage, the world stage, the last few times Saturn went through Pisces. Um, so the mid-90s, 94, 95, 96 was the last time. And then before that, it was the 60s, the mid-60s, because I was born in January of 1965. So uh, Saturn was at two degrees when I was born. So so Saturn went all through Pisces during the Vietnam War, the Civil Rights Movement, uh, the hippie generation where waves of American were breaking free from the status quo and creating the counterculture. And, and that was the time in the 60s when, when the Eastern wisdom started flooding America you know, the yoga movements, the uh, the meditation, the transcendental meditation, the chanting of mantras, incense, crystals, organic farming, um, permaculture, all these things, uh, midwifery, you know, it was a whole uh, renaissance of ancient esoteric knowledge was flooding America in the 60s. And so, and if you go back again, another 30 years to the previous Saturn cycle, it was the 30s. So if you look at the mid 30s, the mid 60s and the mid 90s, um, it's interesting because the 30s was the depression, the Great Depression, and the 60s was a very tumultuous decade. But what was happening for people in the 90s? You know, so if I just want to look at it from a pop cultural perspective, um, the 90s was, you know, with technology that that was when the Internet was coming on. And Saturn is the planet that crystallizes inspiration and ideas into tangible, workable forms, right? Saturn takes the energy of Neptune, which is that creative inspiration coming from the higher realms through the intuition and through different types of uh, peak experiences. And Saturn gives form like, like blueprints drawn up for an architectural job. Saturn is those blueprints. So... Uh, and the 30s, color motion pictures came around, you know, so there's always some sort of technological innovation when when Saturn goes through Pisces, because let's face it, Pisces is the sign. It's a very oceanic, creative, inspirational sign that rules photography and movies and, and all different art forms. And Saturn gives structure and form to those things. So you always see some type of innovation coming uh, when Saturn goes through Pisces. And, and since Saturn also brings restrictions and obstacles and discipline or, or the need for discipline to people's lives, both individually and collectively, there seems to be tumult in the society when Saturn also goes through Pisces. So it's hard to say what's coming uh, because every generation is on a different spiral. Although the same archety archetypal themes are, are resonating, where humanity is on a different evolutionary spiral. And so we are a totally different culture than we were in the 60s. Um, although to the people who grew up in World War I and World War II, like my grandparents and parents, the 60s was like, holy smokes, Batman. It was amazing. You know, all this hippie trippy stuff and LSD and, and this strange war in Vietnam that really nobody really understood why we were there. It was, it was a very um, confusing time. 
And uh, so many things happened in America in the 60s. So again, on an individual level, you know, reality is determined by a person's inner world. Um, I use this example a lot. Uh, say you go to see a movie in a theater with a friend and you could be watching a scene and absolutely loving a particular scene in the movie, but your friend could be so triggered by that scene that they actually have to get up and walk into the lobby for a few minutes and just get out of the theater. And I've had that happen. And I later at the end of the movie, like, dude, what happened? What happened? What was going on for you? Well, I'll talk to you about it later. In other words, we get triggered by things. Right. And that's a very, very unique and individual experience. It's a it's very different from one person to the next. So for those people, and I'm 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 assuming that the people who listen to your podcast and who follow you on your social media, um, they're already interested in things like meditation, in spiritual practices, in in clairvoyance and guidance of from a higher realms. So this won't be, you know, any news to them. But for people whose orientation is strictly material and they're completely disregarding that 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 rich inner life that we all have, then, you know, these Saturn transits, whether they're personal or collective, are going to be are going to be times to get real because Saturn is the energy of being realistic. Saturn always dishes up a dose of realism. And he, he counteracts the, the fantasy and the nebulousness of Neptune and Pisces. And he says, dude, you got bills to pay. Or, hey, you got to get to the doctor for that. You can't keep ignoring it. You got to get help. You know, Saturn brings us down to the ground and dishes up re, uh, reality to us. He's the planet of reality. So that's what's going to happen. That's a really good point. Um, thinking back to, you know, the 30s, the 60s, the 90s. I feel like I don't know so much about the 30s, although you did bring up, you know, motion pictures and that was definitely a way of, of kind of making dreams or, or these visions um, a reality and, and being able to share those with others so others could escape into these um, these dreams, these visions, these things that weren't necessarily real, but they became more real in the form of motion pictures. But I definitely think of, you know, Pisces and the connection with addiction with escapism kind of in um the the more challenging side of of working with piscean energy or rather um you know the yeah kind of the shadow side when we're not really paying attention to what that piscean call truly is um and kind of fall into something that maybe feels easier or um more accessible than maybe you know seeking spiritual transcendence or something like that um, and so it definitely seems like around those times, there was kind of this desire to like poke holes in reality <laughs> through the use of drugs and like experimentation with drugs. And then there was also kind of um, a backlash in, in some ways um, during those times as well. And I don't know if that actually the backlash coincides with Saturn entering Pisces or if that was kind of, those were phases when we started to realize kind of the gravity of, of some of this experimentation that, you know, there's been really good sides to the experimentation, um, but, but also, you know, some heavier, darker sides. Um, and so I wonder if, I, I don't know if you know um, from, you know, kind of your historical research, but if that, you know, the weight of of kind of the reality of, of drug usage, um, especially some of the drugs that are a bit more um, 
extreme in nature. Um, like I'm thinking of people who got stuck in in terrible LSD trips or people who died, you know, having bad acid trips or things like that in the 60s and the 90s. There were definitely a lot of overdoses. Um, and, you know, drugs definitely had <laughs> Um, you know, their their dark side um, came out as well. Um, and so I wonder, you know, if there could be both kind of a, a crystallization around some of this um, drug research that we're doing right now, but also maybe a recognition of the, the dark side surrounding um, some of the drugs that we're starting to use more um, medicinally and, and recognizing that maybe there needs to be a bit more structure around them. Um, I'm thinking of a lot of like plant medicines that people have used in a very structured way and other cultures that are being used um, perhaps in a less structured way um, in, you know, um, certain Western cultures that have adopted them. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear if you have any thoughts or perspective on that side of Pisces. Um, what, yeah, what your ideas, your insights might be. Sure. Um, I'm a recovering alcoholic, actually. I, I haven't drank in over 16 years, but um, I was in a plane crash when I was 13 where I lost my dad and I was up close and personal in that experience. And so I was 13. So two years later, when I was 15, some friends took me cruising town uh, and they put vodka in my Foster's Freeze Lemonade, and I got schnockered. And for the first time since that crash, I had found uh, something that took the edge off that PTSD. And so uh, it was something that's that's ubiquitous in our society. It's everywhere. It's legal. You can buy alcohol or if you're 21 or over, of course. But um, so it, I became addicted to alcohol. And um, it was self-medication for me from a trauma. And I love the work of Gabor Mate, where he kind of demystifies addiction by saying it's not so much a disease as it is a person just trying to feel better from the from the residue of PTSD or whatever their traumatic symptoms are. And so um, I was a real heavy drinker. I was drinking an entire bottle of vodka and I would chase that with an entire bottle of white wine every night. And, and I had, by, by my senior year in high school, I was drinking every night of the week. So, and then I went off to UC Santa Barbara in the mid eighties, which is real, back then it was one of the biggest party schools in the country. You know, it's on the beach and Isla Vista, it's like 40,000 college students in a square mile. And so I, I was just, I just disappeared into a sea of other party revelers. You know, nobody noticed my alcoholism because everybody else was just raging. And um, so I also, so anyway, I, with with uh, Chiron, the moon, and Saturn in my 12th, all in Pisces, uh, the 12th house is all about uh, psych wards and mental illness and my attempts to escape my traumas. And, you know, I, w I grew up in a generation where PTSD wasn't really known yet. Um, the Vietnam War really came to an end in 1975. And then two years later, Chiron was discovered in 77. So the, the reality around trauma and PTSD and all that stuff really didn't hit home until like the late 70s into the 80s. So I never got any counseling or therapy for that plane crash that I was in. So escaping into drugs and alcohol was just like, it was a no brainer for me. So uh, over time, I gradually brought myself down. I quit drinking and then my psychiatrist put me on medicinal cannabis and lithium for my, my bipolar. 
And then when I got married to my wife, I gave up the cannabis. I went through recovery program, got off cannabis, and the doctor put me on gabapentin. And so now I'm almost completely off the GABA. I've, I've weaned it down to a very minimal amount. So for me, it's been a gradual, intentional, intelligent approach. And one of the key things, and I hope this is a takeaway for some of your listeners, if we can shift our conscious awareness of using these substances, whether it's cannabis, LSD, psilocybin, alcohol, pills, powders, whatever it is, if we, in our mind, if we can look at these things as medicinal instead of escapism, if we start to see these substances as medicine, then we'll only take as much as required to get the therapeutic effects. Because everyone in this, in this culture, in the modern civilization that we live in, everyone is medicating with something. It could be food, overworking, sex, drugs, alcohol, pills, powders, vaping. It, there's Video so many games. things. Video games. Yeah. We're trying to distract ourselves from feeling pain right? Pain. Nobody wants to feel pain. Everyone wants to feel good, which I want to segue just for a sec into the Eastern wisdom that I've been diving deep into for decades. Please. The very, the very nature of us as, as living entities, as spirit souls is that we are sat-chit-ananda. These are three Sanskrit words. Sat means we are eternal. Chit, C-I-D, chit means we are full of knowledge. And ananda means by nature we're blissful. We're actually blissful beings by our nature. Bliss isn't something that we go attain. It's actually what we are. But this blissfulness gets covered as the influence of Saturn starts to intensify in our lives with obligations, responsibilities, deadlines, duties. Um, you know, we have jobs we have to show up on time to. We have family members we have obligations with. So that blissfulness gets covered by the dense material atmosphere in which we're living, the dense energies that we're, we're swimming through. Um, so to re get back to that blissfulness, drugs and alcohol is a really quick way to get there. But unfortunately, it's not sustainable. And it's the lower octave. It's the escapist tendency of Pisces ruler Neptune, which is, hey, I'm going to escape into just being numbed out so I don't feel my body. So... Um, again, we have to go about this on an individual person by person basis, because one size is not going to fit all, but there are general, how do you say, um, there's general truths that are universal, right? And one of those is, and this is in all the ancient wisdom traditions that, um, austerity breeds ecstasy and luxury breeds lethargy. And there's a scientific reason for this. Luxury, what does luxury mean? It means surrounding yourself with comfort, with, you know, no struggle, like everything automated, everything easy, everything at your fingertips. And what, that's, what this does is, is it draws our consciousness away from our inner world and it makes us dependent on outer circumstances for our happiness, which is, you mentioned a really good word earlier, which is inner authority claiming our inner authority, the Saturnian word, authority, our inner seniority over our life, you know, being the captain of our soul, the captain of our own ship, right? So when we indulge in luxuries, 
rich food, good wine. It's, there's nothing wrong with these things in some sort of moderation. But when they become a way of life, we start to become averse to any type of discipline. But discipline is actually what the mind and body needs to reveal that ananda, to set free and liberate that blissfulness again. And so we experience this when we go camping and backpacking. When we get away from the suburbs, we go up into the mountains or into the forest, we pup our tent, we start a campfire, and we're in nature. And what we're doing is we're doing, we're making do with very little. And we start to feel alive again. We start to, we, we, it's like when you went to Mexico, I saw these beautiful pictures you shared on Instagram of the beach and the sunsets. And we come alive when we're out using a minimal of luxuries to experience life. So this is what this truism means. Luxury breeds lethargy. Because I know I can't handle luxury for too long. I get antsy. I want to get back to work. I, I need structure again. You know, I'm a Capricorn. I need my Saturn. Right. And so I'm, I'm, I'm biased, of course. I think everyone needs an appropriate amount of limitation so that they can more readily access that blissfulness that is always dwelling within us all the time. That's a really good perspective. Um, and as you were saying that, I was thinking about how, once again, probably something that you've often experienced, but something that I definitely do when I have clients come to me is they'll often say, I feel lost. Um, and Saturn is a planet that helps us, from my experience, feel less lost. It gives us an area of focus. It gives us um, something to be working toward, goals to be working toward, something to be growing toward. And it is really easy um, to slip into a, a space of kind of apathy and then depression and then a general feeling of being lost without some kind of centering guiding force but but also without some level of struggle because through that struggle we do feel like we're growing and you know with Pisces Pisces is really trying to um alleviate suffering not only in itself but also kind of in the world at large there's there's a quality to pisces or at least from my experience and understanding of pisces there there is this very compassionate empathic sensitive um desire to alleviate suffering um but without saturn alleviating that suffering can take forms that lead to lostness, that lead to feeling, um, you know, worse, more depressed, um, you know, different forms of escapism. Whereas it seems like maybe this Saturn and Pisces transit um, can help us work toward alleviating suffering um, with structure, with focus, with goals, and, and with an acknowledgement that maybe hard work, that maybe suffering is also part of that process. As you were speaking, I also realized you're quite literally in your Saturn return at this exact moment in time. <laughs> and so um, it's just kind of incredible to hear, you know, your journey recently, especially um, kind of your journey with, you know, medicine, medicating yourself for your PTSD, for bipolar disorder, for the different things you've experienced, um, and how you've been able to take this really structured approach to, um, yeah, to, to slowly but surely kind of weaning yourself off of things that 
as you realized, maybe they weren't working for you anymore. Maybe they were no longer serving you. Um, and so I just wanted to, I, again, I didn't realize this was the exact moment of your Saturn return, just kind of congratulate you on that. Um, and and yeah, it's it's been really cool. I met Jim actually through um, some astrology classes that I was taking with um, a really fantastic astrologer named Rio Oleski. And um, and yeah, Jim has just been such a supportive and encouraging person um, through that classwork and, and that coursework. Um, you know, not all astrologers necessarily see eye to eye. And even though we have different perspectives in astrology and have different kind of passions and focus areas, he's just always been so open-minded. Um, but it's also really exciting to think about um you know, kind of what's to come for you, Jim, following this Saturn return. I feel like it's such a major, that, that second Saturn return in, in particular is such an epic time for really leaning into the legacy that we want to leave on this planet for future generations. Um, our first Saturn return, we really start to get a glimpse of what that may be. But in the second one, I feel like those are like the golden years that follow once we're really focused, we've really honed in on what that is. Um, and I don't know, I don't want to put pressure on you to share that at this moment in time, since I know that you're in the midst of your Saturn return right now, but have you noticed that there's any things that have been kind of like illuminated during this Saturn return where you're realizing that's the, that's the niche, that's the area where I really feel like I can make a difference where I really want to leave something for future generations. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear if, if anything like that has been coming up for you or surfacing. Of course, um, you know I I've been very fortunate to travel all over the world and live in foreign countries. Um, I have my South Node, my Mercury, and my Venus all conjunct in Sag in the ninth house, and so my journey has been to distill the essence of the world's wisdom and philosophical and metaphysical systems of understanding and break them down and step them down like like reducing fractions to the lowest common denominator and it's been very very challenging because i my mercury being conjunct venus and sag in the ninth i love to go off on tangents and i love storytelling um but people's attention spans are not what they used to be uh, for obvious reasons with technology and all the chemicals that we're ingesting as a culture uh, both environmentally and escapism wise but my journey is more is to condense and simplify um, the universal truths that apply to all people in all cultures through all times in all places. These are things that never change. These wisdoms and these universal truths and these laws of material nature have no expiration date. They're always applicable. And so my for the last almost 25, 30 years, my, my focus has been, how can I, because my North Node is in Gemini in the third house, which is like, you know, talking to anybody anywhere and asking them questions and listening to them and tuning into where they're coming from and be able to address them where they're at, as they say. So this has been my journey is how can I, you know, simplify and break these things down into bite-sized morsels where people can assimilate them? And for me, with three planets in Virgo and my sixth, how can they use them immediately and experience immediate benefits? Because it's it's not enough to be dazzled by philosophy and cool ideologies and wow, that's far out. Like 
right now my wife and I are studying sacred geometry and it's absolutely mind blowing. But the, what the beauty of it, there's a whole series on the Gaia channel right now by uh, Dr. Robert Gilbert, uh, who's teaching this and there's exercises and, and practices. You can harness this immediately and feel it and experience it. And in my bhakti yoga tradition, we have a term direct perception by realization. So it's not enough to know something, or, and especially not enough to just believe in something, because beliefs change. Um, we need to apply it and experience it directly. And so entering the age of Aquarius, we're on the cusp of this new age. It's really important for everyone to feel free to discover things on their own, to pursue those things that resonate for them personally, and to feel free to let go of the dogmas that were handed down to them that just don't apply anymore. Um, one of my mentors is in, the, in a martial arts heritage of Bruce Lee. And Bruce Lee's uh, motto was, absorb what works, disregard the rest, and then put your own personal spin on it and make it your own. And what my spiritual teacher from India used to teach is, you can't give up an inferior habit, an inferior addiction, or an inferior way of life until first you have a superior way to replace it. So in the 60s, his first students were smoking cigarettes. And yet, so in their left hand, they had a cigarette. In the right hand, they had their little mala beads. They were chanting their mantra on their beads, right? And he didn't take their cigarettes away. He said, give me your cigarettes. I'll keep them, and whenever you want one, just ask, and I'll give you one. And see, he knew all along what he was doing. He, he was very intelligently showing them that as they gained a taste for the mantra meditation, and as they started to slowly and gradually adopt a more transcendental lifestyle, then naturally it's so much easier to give these habits up. But if you force someone with dogma, if you shame them and criticize them and ridicule them, and tell them they're going to hell because they're being sinful, they're just going to double down. And, and they're not, and they're going to become even more obstinate in their desire for escape. Um, hence the words of that famous song by Sting that I love. If you love somebody, set them free. So we have to, freedom is the primary urge of the soul. We're all trying to liberate ourselves from confining circumstances. So, Again, the principle is you can't give up an inferior way of life or a habit or an addiction until first you can actually, through direct perception by realization in your own personal experience, taste the higher thing. And once you get a taste for the higher thing, you can let go of the lesser thing. So this has been my goal is to like just these simple truths. If I can distill the essence of this wisdom down into like little sound bites like so many thought leaders are doing today. There's so many people that I admire out there that are, that are influencers and, and thought leaders who have, who have broken these things down for us so we can grab it like a, like a grab-and-go coffee and hit the road, and, and it works for us. So that's what I'm working on. That's awesome. Um, and I love some of the visuals you gave there, especially that one of, you know, someone holding like their meditation or their prayer beads in one hand, the cigarette in the other, um, but not the the emphasis on forcing someone to give up one thing. Um, I, I love that, you know, 
you know, we talked about the age of Aquarius and, you know, there is this emphasis on duality and the ability to hold space for duality with the Aquarian archetype, but same with Pisces and that we have like these two fish, right? There's two sides to Pisces. And, um, and so I, I also feel like with the Piscean energy with Saturn and Pisces, there's also this emphasis on, you know, being able to hold a little bit more space for, um, for our humanity <laughs> as we're undergoing changes, as we're, um, we are trying to to connect with and experience something bigger than ourselves. And, you know, this might take the form of, of spirituality for a lot of people. But again, with Pisces, it's some of it's kind of the, the obstinate nature of Pisces, but I think some of it is also fear that, that if you um, really scare someone who's working with some really heavy Piscean energy, um, then again, it's just going to drive them deeper into guilt, shame, addictive patterns than if you... Um, you know, kind of liberate them if you remove the fear and allow them to experience um, kind of this more sensitive Piscean energy in a, a less frightened and reactive way, I suppose. Um, but but as you were saying that, I was also thinking about how water in general as an element um, is really pronounced this year in, in the Chinese zodiac. It's um, a water year, the year of the water rabbit. Um, you know, we have Saturn moving into Pisces and, and we'll have it there for a few years. But in general, um, with Saturn in a water element, um, I get the sense that the Saturnian energy is kind of different and and unique and that we'll experience it in a different way than we did with it in air, definitely than with it in earth. <laughs> um, and even on some level different than than fire, even though um, you know, fire and earth are obviously quite different and so on. Um, but when you again coming back to this example of someone holding the the prayer or the meditation beads in the cigarette and the master not forcing the cigarette out of their hand, that was very much kind of this watery energy to me of, you know, water changes things slowly over time and sometimes gently, sometimes roughly if we're talking about like big ocean waves crashing down or, um, you know, bomb cyclones like we just had here in California. Um, but there is kind of a, a quality to water where it can shape and, and change and morph things without so much force. Um, but anyways, I'd love to hear your perspective on Saturn in a water sign or in kind of the water and element in general, because some people may have Saturn in Pisces in their chart. Um, I definitely know I have clients and family members with Saturn in Cancer and Scorpio. Um, so yeah, any insights, any thoughts you have specifically on Saturn in this, this water element? Yeah, of course. Um, Metaphysically speaking, water represents the, the characteristic of devotion, right? Feelings, moods, emotions. So that deep emotive quality of fe our feeling nature, our feeling states. And Pisces is definitely a devotional sign. Um, being naturally associated with the 12th house, it's kind of the summation of all the previous 11 signs of the zodiac. It's the it's the oceanic sign. It's you know from the from the physical uh, scientific paradigm, the materialistic reductionist paradigm. Uh, life evolved from the ocean. So and when it rains, all the rainwater runs down the landforms and empties back into the ocean. So it's like this cycle being complete. So 
I always ask my clients, you know, one of the simplest questions, but one of the most profound and difficult to answer questions there is, is what do you want? <laughs> what do you actually want? Because in our modern world, we're presented with so many options. When I was a kid growing up in the 60s and 70s, we had like four or five channels on our television. There was CBS, NBC, ABC, a local affiliate, a public television station, and then this weird one, Channel 52, that was mainly just a bunch of static. There was no cable back then. It was all these big aerial antennas on top of the homes, these big metal freaky looking things. And so we had like four or five channels and that was it. And most of the time you could only pick up two or three. So there wasn't a lot of uh, diversity. There wasn't a lot of options. You know, everything was very, but now there's so many options that were people are lost. Like you said earlier, people are feeling lost, like with so many opportunities and options and like a, another example, growing up as a kid, there was no more than 10 or 12 different types of candy bars. There was Hershey's, there was Payday, there was um, Three Musketeers, Snickers, and a few others. Now you go to like the supermarket and there's 500,000 million different types of chocolate. Like, you know, with cranberries and jalapenos and sea salt and almonds. And it's like so many different combinations. So similarly, people get cable TV and satellite TV and there's 500 stations. And people spend most of their time surfing, looking for something to watch. They never land on anything. So we're, we're just being our, how do you say, water, the water element diffuses things. It melts things. It melts a bar of soap if you don't keep it out of the water. The soap will get all gooey, right? It'll melt. It, uh, it dissolves things. It dissolves powders in drinks like chocolate, Hershey's, powdered milk. Um, so water dissolves and diffuses and, and breaks things down and turns it into a solution. And once water, you know, water is flowing everywhere. The wellspring of cancer flows into the river of Scorpio and that river empties into the sea of Pisces. And then the sunlight from the fire signs strikes the surface of the seawater, evaporates the pure H2O, which forms clouds. And then the air element pushes the clouds and they hit mountain ranges and they precipitate and they drop the moisture again in this mystical cycle of the, of the water cycle. And then it flows all the way back down into the ocean again. So the water element is diffusive. It's deep. Um, I, I grew up in LA, so I grew up body surfing in Malibu and Zuma and Santa Monica beaches. We used to drive through Topanga Canyon to go, to go swimming. And I'd sometimes drift too far out. I'd go beyond the breakwater and uh, I couldn't touch the bottom out there. So there is this fear with this Pisces energy too, because we're, we can't sense the bottom. We feel like we're adrift and there's no, there's no earth under us. And I had just seen Jaws, so it was like pretty freaky to go out in the ocean after seeing Spielberg's Jaws, you know? So it was like, so there's a lot of fear as well. Saturn is the planet that represents fear in the horoscope. So wherever your listeners have their own natal Saturn in their chart, uh, that's where we tend to confront our fears. And for me personally, with Saturn in the 12th, it was all unconscious. It was things that are in the realm of the archetypes inside my, right, the, the innermost recesses of the heart and the mind. So 
You know, the, the, only, the thing I can say about Saturn through this is, where are you devoted? Again, water, metaphysically speaking, is the energy of devotion. So we need to find out where do our devotions lie? And, and I always tell clients, wherever your attention goes, your life force flows. Whatever you focus on becomes magnified in your consciousness. So like my wife and I, we don't watch the news. We just don't watch it. We don't listen to it because it's so saturated with fear and terrible events. And besides, there's nothing we can do about anything outside of our own personal existence. It's just all happening across the world and across the country. So to, to allow our minds to focus on shootings and the war in Ukraine and this hurricane wiped out this neighborhood, it just fills us with anxiety. And so we, one of the best ways for people to discover what they're devoted to is what you're not devoted to. Start there. So we're not devoted to paying attention to the media because it doesn't serve any practical purpose and it just fills us with fear and anxiety. So what are you devoted to? Self-care, self-reflection, meditation. You know, there's a verse in the 5,000-year-old Bhagavad Gita from ancient India. For one who has learned to control the mind, it is the best of friends. But for one who has failed to do so, their very mind will be their worst enemy. So much so that we have insomnia. We can't shut it off. We can't sleep because our mind is monkey mind. It's bouncing around on the mental platform. I'm, I'm sure everybody can relate to this because there's so much to worry about. Hey, talk to me. I'm a, I'm a cappy with a Saturn in the 12th. I know about worrying. So for me, meditation and spiritual practices were a necessity. They were not a luxury. I had to find these things to survive. And with my addiction, you know, and by the way, being addicted to drugs and alcohol is really being addicted to bliss. And bliss is your nature. So if you can gradually, with the help of Saturn, you know, gradually bringing yourself into a structure, because Saturn is the energy of containment. Without containment, we can't accomplish anything. So you're speaking about water, Saturn in a water sign. Without a container, water just spills and makes a mess. Or if we don't catch rainwater, it flows into the ocean. We can't save it for the summer when we need to water our garden, right? So, so they have these things called cisterns where they, in Australia, in the outback, where I've been three times, um, they have to catch the rainwater to survive. So let's take the positive route here. Let's, let's take the energy of Saturn as a container for our devotion, for the things that are most important to us and and to and to to how do you say um to clear the path of all the distractions so we can get down to what's most important to us and then invest in that that quiet time that self-care that accessing your inner world your higher self uh saturn is our best friend when we use saturn in these positive ways especially in water like you could write a book on this topic, Jim. <laughs> you just have so much good insight into it. Um, and I love all <laughs> the the visuals, the images, the imagery that you use. Um, it's just really, really powerful. <laughs> um, but you know, book as is in the words. Yeah. 
as you were um, speaking to Saturn kind of offering this container for the water, um, I really love that visual in particular because I know that for me personally, for a lot of people that I work with, a lot of my friends, um, being able to create kind of healthy boundaries around themselves and their lives has been such a huge area of focus, an area of work. And because without those healthy boundaries, their energy is kind of getting drained or dissipated or lost. Um, And so that kind of central motivation um, is is really hard to keep flowing and and burning, I suppose, um, without some sort of boundaries around it, something to protect it as well. Um, And when I think of water and water representing, you know, our emotions on some level, um, you know, there's so much compassion, so much empathy, so much intuitive ability kind of linked to that sign of water. And without having some sort of container around it, some sort of boundary around it, um, it can just feel like too much sometimes being too sensitive in the world, maybe feeling burned out or drained or depleted or taken advantage of at times because of that that watery, sensitive, human empathy and compassion. And everybody has water in their chart somewhere, even if they don't have Saturn there or a planet in their water signs. Like we're all working with these principles of empathy, sensitivity, compassion, and so on. Um, and so just hearing you talk about, you know, Saturn as has this container for the water, um, both to prevent it from spilling out and, you know, our our imaginations and our dreams and our intuition our goals and all of these things to kind of just get scattered and and lost. Um, I also get the sense that these this Saturnian energy, especially having it in Pisces right now in a water sign, is going to be a really powerful moment for um, you know not only kind of creating some structure and, and boundaries around our dreams, around the things that we want to devote ourselves to, like you said, um, but also around you know this this sensitive, compassionate love part of ourselves that's um you know that that can be drained that can be depleted if it's not um treated with love and protection and, and given some structure to hold it as well um so i just i really love that that visual and again um you know i know that a lot of my listeners a lot of the people i've worked with boundaries have just been such a big area of consistent work <laughs> and and um you know in growth and for myself personally as well so um so i'm i'm really kind of looking forward to continuing to do that work and and finding um you know pisces is kind of permeable in nature and and so finding kind of maybe these more flexible boundaries boundaries that can kind of work with like the flowy piscean nature um but but boundaries nonetheless um over the course of the next couple of years um i want to ask one more quick question so saturn is kind of a complex character when we actually look back at mythology. Um, so we talk about Saturn these days as kind of, you know, um, the taskmaster, the um, lord of karma. He represents authority, great works, things like that. But in ancient Rome, um, Saturn was supposed to be the the deity that kind of 
um, ruled over this time of peace and abundance, the golden age. Um, and then there was the Saturnalia once a year where there was debauchery and just wildness. And, and so there's, there's this other side to Saturn, both the side that, you know, not only is kind of the Lord of karma, but also the bringer of the golden age of peace of abundance. Um, and then a side to Saturn where it seems like there was almost this acknowledge, acknowledgement in ancient Rome that we do need to let loose. Like we can have structure, we can have boundaries, we can work hard, we can be disciplined, but we also need this, these moments of like wild abandonment right? Like the Saturnalia festival of indulging, of good food, um, of wine, you know, of, of all of these indulgences that, that we enjoy and appreciate. And so I'm wondering, um, you know, just kind of with these, these mythological representations or these, um, like this actual ancient practice around Saturn, this ancient um, perspective on him that maybe we've lost sight of a little bit these days. Um, you know, how you might see those parts of Saturn playing out with Saturn and Pisces, because I feel like Pisces does kind of ask us to dream up or like re-envision a way of working with an energy. And so, and there is this ancient link with Pisces. So I'm kind of wondering, like, it doesn't necessarily have to be a reinstatement of Saturnalia, but can we find ways to celebrate within the structure, right? Um, can we bring some of those kinds of practices to life and recognize that, you know, maybe we do need some escapism amidst our discipline, or or maybe, you know, we need a balance. Um, and similarly, you know, like, is it possible that, that with you know, the closing of this cycle of Saturn, it's moving through the final sign of the Zodiac, that that maybe we can start to, to work with Saturn in a new age, recognizing Saturn as this, you know, deity associated with peace, with abundance, with, um, you know, kind of goodwill um, among humans and and between deities and humans, even during the golden age. Um, that's kind of a long and rambling question, but I'd love to hear if you have any thoughts, reflections, responses to what I just shared. Sure. Um, if we go back to our premise that we we brought up earlier, that the blissfulness, that the satisfaction, the contentment, the peace that everyone is searching for is already within us. There's nothing out there that can help us. And Saturn rules death as well. Saturn is, you know, the end of time for this body. And from the Vedic perspective of, of the East, there is no death. The soul is eternal. It's just like Shakespeare said, all the world is but a stage and all the men and women are merely players. So in each life we come here and we're given a set of senses and a mind to work with and a body to move around in. Um, and yeah, I mean, you're talking to a guy who cut loose in a big way. Um, you know, I've I've <laughs> going to UC Santa Barbara and and being a musician and playing in bands. My band, which was called Burning Couches, we opened up for Jane's Addiction on MTV. And when Jane's Addiction took the stage at the at the football stadium there at, at Santa Barbara, they were so hammered they could barely stand up. They were stumbling and staggering all over the stage. And there, Jane's Addiction was a great band. But to see them in person like that, completely just schnockered off their, off their, you know, they were completely drunk and high. 
And I was I was really uh, disappointed. And, you know, to let loose is one thing, but to go so far and I'm and I'm a hey, I'm a recovering alcoholic. You know, I, I was addicted to alcohol. I, I actually believed at one point that I couldn't survive without it. And I had just resigned myself that, hey, I'm going to die drinking. I'm just going to drink until I until I die. And so, you know, cutting loose, I, I, I'm, I'm certainly not a moralist. I'm not here to tell people how to live. Everyone has to figure this out for themselves. So I, I always say, go for it, man. You know, go do what you got to do. But at, at some point, like you said earlier, there's going to come the need for balance. And so, yeah, um, like when I started practicing bhakti yoga 25 years ago, my, my teacher, uh, one of the four regulative principles was no intoxication. And I said, oh, I drink. What am I going to do about that? He goes, well, don't worry about it. Just keep drinking. And as you gradually develop a taste for the practice, you'll just at some point not need to do that anymore. He says, so the, like, like his teacher said in the 60s to the first people, like, don't worry about it. You have to develop a taste. So until people in their own way, in their own time, in their own individual unique fashion, develop their own taste for that higher transcendental experience, which is actually within us all, all the time. Um, they're going to continue to, to go to these other outlets. And I, and it's when you realize that we're eternal, that life is an ongoing journey of, of conscious evolution, that there's no beginning or no end, that this is always, we're always going to be alive. We're always going to be conscious. We're always going to be hopefully evolving to a higher and higher level. Then whatever mistakes we see people making, we put those in context. That, hey, babies fall over a thousand times before they learn how to walk. We all fell over a thousand times before. And then once we learn to walk, we learn to run. And then some kids join the track team in high school and they run in events and some kids go on to the Olympics. So we're all on this journey together of we're, we're just we're remembering who we already are. <laughs> and so I love to see people happy. I want everyone to be happy. And uh, but I'm certainly not here to tell anyone what to do. Uh, if they ask, I can give it in the context of where they are and make it realistic because I'm ruled by Saturn. Can you tell? It's got to be realistic. And with all my Virgo energy, it's got to be practical. So, yeah, I love this. I love the mythology of Saturn. I love the Saturnalia. Um, when my wife and I go to France, there's actually a little town called Saturn. And there is a church of Saturn, Saturn, uh, that we saw. And so these things have their roots deep, deep in our past, these things. And, and back then, there was no internet. There was no technology to distract us. We were so integrated with Mother Nature. Um, astrology was a way to bring our lives into harmony with the rhythms of the planets and the, and the seasons and nature and the, the, the leaves changing in the autumn and, and the, the crops coming in at the harvest and Vesta and Ceres, the asteroid goddesses. And it, it was... We're coming back to that, which is good news. There's so much esoteric wisdom being rediscovered in the world. The sacred geometry, the uh, the archetypes of the asteroids, which I consider you to be an expert in. And my wife and I love how you elaborate on these things. So it's a great time to be alive. One reason it is is because 
what's not working is so evident on the global stage right now. We can see what's not working. So again, this is this is half the, the equation. Before we know what we're devoted to, we got to recognize what what's not working. And then we can, okay, we can devise a practical, gradual, step-by-step plan to elevate ourselves. And um, however that looks for people, however that shows up for them as individuals, I support that. And as always, I wish everyone the very best on their journey, however it, however it plays out. But I just want the best for everyone. I, I want everybody to be happy, <laughs> myself included. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that, Jim. So, yeah, oh, yeah, you're sorry. welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I just I wanted to share <laughs> that, you know, obviously this idea of the Saturnalia, it's, it doesn't have to play out the way it did in ancient Rome because, you know, things have changed since then. Um, but I do know that a lot of people who are going through major Saturn transits, who have heavy Saturn placements in their chart, who have Capricorn placements, um, there tends to be a natural propensity, or I don't know exactly what the right word is, but for guilt um, and carrying a lot of guilt. And I kind of get the sense that, again, the the quality or the reason that like Saturnalia existed was it, it was this reminder that, you know, when you're working hard and you're living within um, a structure that's working for you and you're working towards your goals and you're getting along with, you know, your fellow man and woman, <laughs> Um there is this this need to also have some fun, to play a little, to to let loose and to to enjoy life. And so I think that when I think of Saturn transits, and you've mentioned this multiple times throughout this podcast, which I've really appreciated, that you know, with that austerity, austerity, with that emphasis on structure, you know, within the container, we can experience a lot of joy and a lot of bliss. Um, but I just wanted to reinforce this idea that because, again, I feel like Saturn needs a makeover. <laughs> it needs kind of a rethinking and a reworking and a reimagining and a restoring right now because otherwise people, um, they they fall into that space of guilt, of heaviness, of, of depression when they're working with Saturn. And there isn't a lot of material kind of encouraging a different perspective on it, right? And so, so I loved this. When I learned more about the Saturnalia, I just love this idea of part of worshiping Saturn and working with Saturn um, is playfulness and and gaiety and joy and celebration right and so um and for me in particular like i'm i'm a pretty earthy person i have a stellium in the 6th house um which is is strongly associated with like service and responsibility i can become very self serious <laughs> i have mars in capricorn um you know sun in virgo rising in taurus and and so i'm i'm always personally and with my clients and with friends like trying to remind people <laughs> and myself um that you know part of of working toward goals of of you know having a social mission of of wanting to leave a legacy in this world is is also um 
you know, being joyous, being a person that that's putting out a good energy into the world at the same time and not, um, you know, becoming a beast of burden or, <laughs> or falling, you know, headfirst into the doldrums. So, um, so I really appreciate your perspective on that. I'm definitely going to take this idea of, you know, the, the bliss and austerity, but also remembering that it's not just through austerity that we achieve bliss. It's, that bliss is already who we are, right? <laughs> um, and so, so I just, I really, really appreciate everything you shared today. Like you are just such a font of knowledge, wisdom. Um, and again, for me, uh, Jim has just been such a source of encouragement over the years. I know he offers the same to his clients. And so I love if you have any closing words you want to share on, on anything whether it's Saturn, Pisces, um, or or something else. And then if you have ways that people can reach out to you as well, if they'd like to work with you, because I get the sense that when people hear the way that, that you speak about astrology, about Saturn, um, you know, they might want to maybe book a reading or, or somehow kind of get in touch with you. So, um, so again, any closing words and also how people can potentially work with you. Um, yeah, please share that. Well, thank you. I, I want to thank you, Diana, for this uh, for this privilege to be on your podcast. I think the world of you and your work, both Joelle and I respect you very much as an astrologer and as a coach. So thank you for inviting me on. It's been a privilege. Um, yeah, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I just finally built my first website. I'm a, I'm a late bloomer. So she'll have all that in the, in the notes of the podcast and um, in my email address as well. Um, a fun way to look at Saturn is whenever you go outside on a windy day to fly a kite, think of Saturn as the string that connects the kite to your hand. Okay. And as you let the string out, the kite goes higher and higher and higher and higher. But if for some reason you let go of that string or the string breaks, the kite immediately comes crashing down to the ground. So a fun way to, to visualize in a creative way the energy of Saturn is Saturn is your hand holding that string. So holding on to that string is however that shows up for you in your life, that's your, that's your austerity, that's your discipline, that's your structure, that's the form you're taking. Again, for some people it could be gardening, woodworking, jigsaw puzzles, anything that frees the mind from its worries right? Because this blissfulness is our nature. Like I tell people, gold is in the ground. We don't manufacture gold. It already exists in the ground. We just have to uncover it. So similarly, the, the bliss and satisfaction that everyone in the world is looking for is already who we are. It's our very constitutional nature. And so however you need to access that, follow that lead, follow that thread follow that string to that kite that lets you fly so um because i just want everyone to be able to fly free and be happy <laughs> so however that shows up do it if it works go for it and um and yeah i offer personal readings i offer readings for relationship compatibility it can be you and a best friend it can be you and a parent it can be you and your partner or spouse um, and I also offer um, express recorded readings, little 15-minute audio clips that I can email people if they're on the go and they don't have time to sit down. But yeah, I have my website. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn. 
So uh, again, I, with with all that Pisces energy in my twelfth, it's it's really awkward still for me to promote myself. It's you know Pisces just wants to just disappear into the background. <laughs> so. I completely understand. Um, so I will promote Jim. <laughs> definitely reach out to him. He is fantastic. Um, and again, this is coming from an astrologer. <laughs> and so I, I know that he knows his stuff really, really well. And I'm also hopeful that maybe one day Jim will release a book of planetary poems and proverbs because apparently <laughs> he has some rich imagery to share with the world and um, a very beautiful way of sharing it. So just planting that seed, Jim. <laughs> um, Great. Thank you so much again for coming on today. Thank you for everyone who tuned in and listened um, to what we had to share. I, I hope you enjoyed it. And thank you again, Jim. This has just been such a cool way to spend the afternoon. Uh, thank you, Diana. You, you're you just, uh, I, I'm very excited to see where your career is going to take you because uh, you're very talented and you're very humble. And you, you've got a lot to, to share with the world. And I wish you this the very best. I'm very excited to see your journey unfold. Oh, thank you. And same to you, um, especially with the second Saturn return. Lots of exciting things in store would be my guess for Jim. <laughs> um, so thank you all again. Um, and I'll look forward to seeing some, if not hopefully, all of you um, on the next episode of Karmic Imprints. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Karmic Imprints podcast. If you'd like to check out more episodes, you can tune in over Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other major podcasting services, and hit the subscribe button to keep up with new content as it comes in. Thank you again for tuning in. I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day.